0: God in the world. Hmm. I also uh, believed in Hmm. the Buddhist and always helped my parents uh, to prepare the sacrifice. Hmm. 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 And when I was young, I studied in uh, uh, Catherine Secondary School. Hmm. Hmm. This is my first time to study to learn the Bible. But I didn't believe in the Bible story. Hmm. I I feel that uh, this is only a subject for me uh, to study that I I, I need to learn. Hmm. Hmm. One day, hmm, unfortunately, uh, my foot was broken uh, during a soccer match. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, hmm. At that time, uh, I feel unhappy. And always uh, stayed in the classroom Hmm. At this time, uh, one of my classmates, uh, he called Derek. Uh, Derek invited me in uh, to to join his uh, birthday party in the church. Mm. During the party, mm. he said uh, "Why he believed in Jesus?" Mm. Mm. At first, uh, Derek. Uh, my classmate, uh, he was a bad guy. He, also, uh, he always uh, stolen some, stole some money and always uh, frightened in the street and played hockey from school. But when he believed in Jesus, Jesus uh, saved me, saved him, and changed uh, his bad habits. Now, in in my mind uh Derek is a uh, very perfect and a uh, good student. Mm. So I I'm also interested in his God because I also want to be a good student at that time. Mm. Mm. I studied Bible and prayed with him. Mm. 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 But at that time uh, I didn't believe in Jesus. I only want to be a good man. Mm-hmm. 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 Gradually, I, I also joined uh, their fellowship gathering and hope to be a Christian. But I think that mm-hmm. David was so perfect as smart. He was a real Christian and I'm not perfect. So uh, I... I also always uh, I failed graduate in in the examination, and I haven't good the behavior, so I didn't want to be a, a false Christian. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, after the my secondary school, uh, I go to the university in Taiwan. Hmm. Hmm. I could uh, I went to a church with my classmate, uh, hmm. Hmm. and one day, hmm. Hmm. the church deacons uh, asked me, "Samuel, do you believe in Jesus?" Hmm. I don't reply her. Uh, 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 I, I don't reply him because I think that I am not perfect. Hmm. I don't want to be a false Christian. I want to understand more. Hmm. But the deacon told me a text in the Holy Bible. Hmm. Hmm. It's in the Ephesians uh, chapter 2, 8 and 9. For by grace, you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not of works. That no one would push. Hmm. The test encouraged me to accept Jesus because I know that hmm, Jesus saved me. This is a gift. It's a grace. Not I do anything for Him. Hmm. Hmm. Not I do anything for Him to change the life. Hmm. Hmm. It's, a, it's a gift. It's a grace. It's only through my faith and accept Him. So, I take off the struggle and accept my baptism in, in the great of church when I came back to Macau. Hmm. So today, uh, this is my test morning being of how I became a Christian. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Samuel, for coming all the way over here to visit with us. It is our honor and our privilege, and we look forward to uh, seeing your family, meeting your family. By the way, before you leave today, the photos of all, every, all of our guests that are coming this week, Samuel and his family are right over here in that photo. So take a look at those so you get to know some faces as uh, our brothers and sisters from Macau come to visit us uh, this, this next couple of weeks. So let me pray for you, Samuel, okay? Heavenly Father, we thank you for blessing us with Samuel's presence. We thank you for saving him out of the teeming millions of uh, people who live in China. Lord, you have raised him up. You've opened his eyes to the truth and many others also, Lord. We praise you for your work, a mighty revival going on in that land. And Lord, I thank you for Macau, for the churches there. We pray for the great praise, great hope, and great love churches and for our brothers and sisters in Macau and especially for the team that is in Chicago right now and is going to be traveling here on Tuesday. We pray for their safety, and we pray that we would have a very vital time together uh, with one another as we celebrate our bond in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you for Samuel, and thank you for him being here in Jesus' powerful name I pray. Amen. Thank you, Samuel. Welcome, uh, it is good to be here today and uh, my completer Don is back thanks to Amtrak, was even on time yesterday uh, at 4.23 in the morning. That's the only time I pray Amtrak is late is when somebody's arriving, <laughs> but uh, she's back and I'm thankful, thankful for you all for praying for us and uh, for our family. It was good to be able for her to be over there and be grandmother to two little ones. And a mother to our daughter as well. And a mother-in-law to our son-in-law. There we go. That's the big job, right? So, uh, but we are glad. Also, uh, it's neat to see the family of Christ that uh, functions together and uh, is healthy in that. I received, uh, I was given a card this morning from Linda Thistle. And if you're on our prayer ministry, you know we've been praying for Floyd and Linda Thistle to uh, get a new home. And they've gotten moved, and so she wrote this thank you, especially to Mark, Doug, Ty, Carlos, and Todd. And maybe she forgot somebody who helped them move, but she said, thank you so very much for all your help to get us moved. You are all our heroes, blessings in abundance, Floyd and Linda Thistle. So thank you guys for helping her move. And uh, she says she's not moving again. So, uh, But we appreciate uh, this card, Linda. Thank you. Uh, So... As I was thinking uh, this week, and knowing that this morning would be pretty full, uh, this is the first Sunday of the month, and traditionally we observe the Lord's Table, Communion, on the first Sunday of the month. And it's interesting, as I talked to Paul, because he was in mainland China last Sunday, and he led Communion there, and it struck him the global impact of the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we gather together and celebrate Communion together, it's bigger than just our group here and I was thinking we're really international today with Samuel being here representing the believers in Macau, Uh, Carlos of course from El Salvador representing all the believers in El Salvador back there and then uh, Martin who's from Canada who's recently moved down here to work and so Martin welcome and uh, he's representing all believers in Canada and I represent all believers from Montana so there you go. (laughs) Truly an international gathering as we gather to uh, remember what God has done for us. If you remember, if you're familiar with the central passage of communion in First Corinthians chapter 11, you know that twice Jesus in his instructions to the Apostle Paul, uh, in those instructions said, do this in remembrance of me. And that's why we call this a memorial time. Uh, We don't refer to this as a Eucharist necessarily, but it's a memorial time when we are following the Lord's command to remember what he's done. And every month as we approach communion, I'm personally challenged by what do I remember? And uh, we've talked about that in the past. But I was thinking this week about uh, the disciples. What did they remember? What did the disciples remember when he told them in that first communion that Bill read for us when they met for the Passover before Jesus was crucified? And, of course, Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, being the very fulfillment of the longing of Israel all of those centuries as they observed Passover, applied new meaning to the Passover feast and especially the institution of what we call the Lord's table. And uh, I was thinking about those early disciples, those 11 who were gathered there particularly, and later on, uh, what did they remember? And uh, I was thinking about that, and there's a passage in the Gospel of Luke. Dr. Luke has given us a historical account, a narrative of one event in early in the disciples' lives. If you have your copy of Scripture, turn to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, and I'll be reading verses 1 through 11. 1 through 11. One of my instructions in seminaries when you read scripture is you wait to start reading until all the pages quit turning. Uh, now, in this day and age, I've got to watch and make sure your finger's not going across the screen like this. You need to add a sound effect to your screen, I think, so I know when you're there. Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen have gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put a little way out from the land, and he sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. But still, I will do as you say, and I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come help and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they both began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man for amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear, from now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. As the men come up to served this Lord's table, the bread and the cup this morning, I was thinking this is undoubtedly one of the instances that they remembered when they would partake of communion together. It was so vital in their memory that they even conveyed it to Dr. Luke, who then recorded it in the original document that we call the Gospel of Luke, and it's been protected and sustained by God himself down through the centuries and given to us in our own heart language and what a privilege that we have as we read this event. But one of the things that struck me about this, there is so much here we could spend all day unpacking this one paragraph. And yet the fact is, is that they were amazed. They were amazed. They were struck. And then at the end of this, when they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. And uh, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, at some point, whether you were five years old at vacation Bible school or. 25 years old, and uh, you left some potential lifestyle challenges and changes behind when you followed Jesus Christ. And so for them to remember it, I was thinking specifically, what did they remember? You know, we use the term revival, and it seems like they were revived when they basically dropped their nets, left their boats, and followed the Lord Jesus Christ. They were so staggered and so struck by what he had done And who he was, the very character of who he was, he was the one who was uh, the only one worth following in their minds. And if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, you've made that same decision on some level and at some point in your life, that he is the only one worthy of my attention and my following. And so this morning, this is what we remember, and each one of us has a story. Each one of us has things we remember specifically, events in our lives, times in our lives. And I would encourage you as you partake of these elements to remember what Jesus has done, his faithfulness in difficult times, his faithfulness in adverse times, his being with you when it seemed like the whole world was cruel and out of shape in your life. Well, we call that uh, revival. There's been many definitions of revival. I've just been wading through two different books by Ian Murray, One is called Revival and Revivalism, and the other one's entitled Pentecost Today. And he does an excellent job of defining the difference between revival and revivalism. Revivalism was uh, actually began by Charles Finney in the 19th century, and Charles Finney did not believe in the total depravity of man. Charles Finney, even though he was a great preacher, did not believe that It was a matter of God sovereignly working on our hearts to open our eyes to the truth. He simply believed that all men and women had the capacity to believe in Jesus. All we had to do was convince him. So he instituted things like the altar call, walking an aisle, the mourner's bench, raising hands in the service, and all of those techniques and mechanisms that are still with us today. In fact, I remember walking an aisle when I was eight years old in a Baptist church in Denver, Colorado, and being baptized and uh, yet I was all I was was a wet little pagan because I did not truly trust in Jesus until I was 28 years old, some two decades later. And uh, so uh, you've got to make sure walking an aisle doesn't save you. Raising a hand in a service does not save you. That's revivalism. Those are man's mechanisms and techniques. But true revival is God's work, and through the centuries we've seen true revivals break out, among God's people and among places, even in our own country. In fact, one of the simplest, <clears throat> simplest definitions of revival were given by Duncan Campbell. He described it as a, simply as a community saturated by God. A community saturated by God. And that's what happened to these disciples in Luke chapter 5. They were saturated with the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what did they remember? I think from this, from this very passage, we can pick out a few things that they would remember that were applicable to you and I here in the 21st century. They were astonished. First of all, they were amazed, and it's because of what Jesus did, the impossibility of what he did. He really validated that this was the Messiah. This was the miracle working God. This is the one that Israel had longed for for centuries, the one that had been promised clear back in Genesis chapter 3 in the garden. This was the one. He was the one worth following. They were astonished in verse 9 at the extent of God's work. Jesus Christ filled their nets to breaking, filled the boats to almost sinking. He is an abundant God. He is not a God of scarcity. He is not a cruel God. He is not a, a God that withholds blessings. But he is a God of just great, amazing, extensive work. In our lives, uh, we tend to think uh, God is a little bit stingy sometimes, depending upon our situation. And yet this was a very physical manifestation of God declaring, I am the God of abundance. I am the one who has control over nature. I can even fill these boats in the middle of the morning when actually no other fishermen were catching fish. Remember, they had toiled all night. Fishermen on the Sea of Galilee fished at night. That's when they would catch fish. Secondly, The place of God's work. This is incredible to me. Think about it. Uh, The disciples were astonished at the place where God chose the work. In the middle of the Sea of Galilee, on the shore, with some fishermen, with stinky fish. He wasn't in Rome. He wasn't in Jerusalem or any other major population center. But this is the place of his work. This is a reminder that when God shows up, his presence in revival is guaranteed. It's not guaranteed by our mechanisms and our machines, but it's guaranteed by when God shows up. Whether it's in the upper room, whether it's in an old barn in the Scottish Hebrides or in a field outside of Boston or a rundown church in the heart of New York City, when God shows up, people change, and they're very unlikely places. Uh, God can change unfertile soil into fertile soil. Warren Wiersbe once told me when I was visiting with him in Chicago at a pastor's conference, uh, I was kind of whining. I know it's hard to imagine, especially for my wife, uh, that I was a little bit whiny. But uh, he said, Gary, there are no small places in God's economy. No small places. You know, many pastors, uh, to their shame, are always looking for the next big leap up to the, the big church, the mega church, whatever it is. And... God blesses those things, I I don't deny it, but yet there are no small places. Little old Ephrata, here we are, sometimes we think we're not even in God's sight, but yet there are no small places, and God chose to work in the Sea of Galilee in these fishermen's lives. Thirdly, the timing of God's work. Again, I've already mentioned that this was probably mid-morning. They were already washing their nets, they'd fished all night, they're tired, uh, God's timing is always perfect and accurate. Uh, he, they discovered that uh, when God is present, his timing is always right. And like you, uh, I get a little impatient with God's timing. Uh, perhaps you're a little impatient right now. Why doesn't God do something, whether it's a physical issue, a financial issue, a family issue, whatever it is in your life? We need to trust God and trust his timing with that. God's timing is often an astonishing dimension of revival in our land, in our personal selves, and finally the methods God's used. Notice He didn't say to them, "Well, you guys need better bait, you need bigger boats, you need uh, a new fish finder. You know, you need all this equipment to get a f- catch all these fish." No, He just simply told them to be obedient and cast your nets over. Jesus could have suggested a bunch of new and improved ways. In fact, we Americans we love the new and the improved. You know, we don't like the old hat stuff. We want the new stuff that uh, we want it to work. Uh, methods do have their place. I don't want to deny that. But when Jesus comes, methods become secondary. When Jesus changes your life, methods are secondary. When I when I look back, when I was what I think when I truly was saved was on a mountainside in western Montana running a skid cat in a logging operation. And I think that was the moment that Jesus Christ opened my eyes. It wasn't about any church's methods or any big programs. And each one of you, as a believer in Christ, you have some kind of a story where God opened your eyes and he maybe used a Sunday school teacher or a preacher or or a neighbor or a family member. And that's great. That's how God does it. Just like Samuel's testimony, what a great testimony about it. For by grace you are saved through faith, and not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, so that no one may boast. So when revival comes, human methods are eclipsed by his presence and his power. And that's what I believe the disciples remembered on that day when they would partake of communion. That they would look back and say, yes, remember what Jesus did on the Sea of Galilee when James and John and Simon Peter, when they thought of that. So this morning, we come to partake of the Lord's table. It is really for believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're not a believer in Christ this morning, I'd encourage you to evaluate your own eternal well-being and know that it is by grace, unmerited favor, that a person has eternal life. It's not anything we do. It's not by the good works. It's not about... Our attitudes in life or how we treat others, but it's about the Lord Jesus Christ and he alone. So when he says, do this in remembrance of me, what do we remember? We remember the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done in his grace to challenge us. We follow the pattern given to us in the New Testament through the Apostle Paul, and it says that they distributed the bread first and then the cup B before C. That's how you remember that. And uh, so we're going to distribute the bread Uh, as we remember what Jesus has done, and I'm going to ask Mark Strickler to give thanks for the bread this morning.